Well, permit me uh, a word of privilege as I start this morning, and that is to recognize that our middle daughter, Sarah, got engaged last night. She is with her fiance, Brett, right over here. We also have members of Brett's family from Chicago and Evansville who've come up for the weekend. Would all of you just raise a hand if you would? Let us recognize you. We're so glad you can be here today. I notice Sarah has already changed her wave. It's more like this now when she waves, <laughs> waves at people. And as we heard in the announcements, it's a big Sunday for St. Luke's because we are kicking off St. Luke's Midtown as our official launch Today, So as we get ready for the message, I invite you to join me in a word of prayer for Mindy and all of the team there in Broad Ripple who are getting ready for the Midtown launch at 11 o'clock. Let us pray. Lord, we do pray for Mindy as she preaches today, all of the team as they lead worship, the many volunteers who've done so much work in that location this year. May your spirit fill that room as they prepare and get ready ready to greet those who arrive and to feel and experience your glory as they worship there today, that this will be the beginning of a very significant ministry of yours you use to reach greater numbers of people and to tell them about your wondrous love. Bless us now as we give our attention to these scriptures that have been read. Open our minds and our hearts to hear and understand and live out of that understanding we receive. In Christ's name, amen. Well, Mary McLeod Bethune, African-American Methodist woman from South Carolina, realized an amazing dream in her life of being able to start a college for African-American students who might not be able to go to college otherwise. That school is known today as Bethune-Cookman University. She had a practice each year of speaking to the graduating class, and she would conclude her remarks with the same line every year before graduates went out to make their way in the world. She would tell them, faith ought not be a puny thing. If you believe, have faith like a giant, and may God grant you not peace, but glory. Not peace, but glory. When you understand something about Mary McLeod Bethune's life, you appreciate what she accomplished and her unique understanding of glory. She was born in 1875 in South Carolina. Both of her parents had been slaves. She somehow understood that education would be the way out of her working in the fields for the rest of her life. So she attended a one-room segregated school in South Carolina and then remarkably was able to go on to the Moody Institute Bible College in Chicago. After graduating, she returned to South Carolina to be a teacher. In 1938, she wrote, if our people are to fight their way up out of bondage, we must arm them with the sword and the shield and the buckler of pride, belief in themselves and their possibilities based upon a sure knowledge of the achievements of the past. Now, that was no power of positive thinking approach in her heart and spirit. What gave her determination was a quickened faith in God. 
that, that faith gave her the determination to believe she could fulfill this dream even though people told her, you have no idea how much money it will take. You'll never be able to do it. Even though people told her the, the obstacles will be too great, even though people said to her, you're a woman, you're too young, it'll never happen. But it did. And Bethune-Cookman University today continues to, to graduate some of our finest leaders in the country and some of our best professionals. In 1941, she wrote an essay entitled, Faith That Moves a Dump Heap. It gave away the origins of the school. The first land she purchased to build the school was on a site that had been the town dump. It's the only land she could afford. So she bought the land, and then to be able to afford to build a building, she sold sweet potato pies and ice cream. But build it, they did. So when she would tell graduates every year that faith ought not to be a puny thing and may God grant you peace not glory it was in the words of the article that I read about her Bethune's way of telling her students that the battles that matter and the causes that are worthy of our lives are rarely accomplished without difficulty courage and sacrifice peace not peace but glory that's a different understanding of glory, for most of us anyway. Last week, Pastor Javon kicked off our Advent series on glory, introducing us to one of the two Old Testament words for glory, Shekinah. Shekinah literally means dwelling, but it connotes a, a sense of magnificence about it, something dazzling, mysterious, awe-inspiring, like the cloud that descended upon the tabernacle in the wilderness when Moses would go in to meet with God. That was Shekinah glory. The New Testament word for glory is doxa. It's the word from which we get doxology. It means praise, and it has the same understanding of Shekinah, sort of. There are understandings of doxa, doxa, glory in the New Testament that have to do with spectacular occurrences, like the angels appearing to the shepherds in the field announcing the birth of Jesus. It said, the glory of the Lord shone around them. It has this understanding of something magnificent that could even be frightening. When Jesus went up on the mountain to be transfigured before several of his disciples, it says that a cloud came down upon them as Jesus was transfigured and the disciples could see him speaking with Moses and Elijah. Now listen to the way that the Gospels describe this event. They say that it was dazzling bright like the sun, bright as a flashing of lightning. But then there's this other statement in the Gospel of Luke about this event. They, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, appeared in glory and were speaking about Jesus' exodus, which he was about to fulfill in Jerusalem. 
exodus? We know what that means, don't we? Moses and Elijah were speaking with Jesus about his crucifixion. Crucifixion is associated with glory. It seems incongruent, but it is a reference to glory that we read in several places in the New Testament. For instance, in the Gospel of John where Jesus says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Whenever Jesus talks about being glorified in the Gospel of John, he's talking about his execution. Even Paul speaks of glory this way. In 2 Corinthians, he talks about being persecuted, afflicted, struck down. But then look what he says. Our slight momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. That's the most interesting phrase, weight of glory. Paul's phrase relates to the other Old Testament word for glory, the other word besides Shekinah, the other word that's used, and it is used more often, is kabod. Now, we might recognize kabod because it appears in a name in the Old Testament, but it's a name that we probably recognize from the story, the legend of Sleepy Hollow. Do you know what the name is? Ichabod. 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 Unglory. Without glory. Kabod. It, It means glory, but the word literally means weight or heaviness. Now, we're going to deal with kabod much more next Sunday. In fact, next Sunday's sermon's titled, uh, taken from Paul's phrase, The Weight of Glory. I raise it today to simply say that when we think of events like crucifixion, uh, things that Paul described being crushed, afflicted, we think of painful, difficult periods, and we often refer to times like that as being heavy times. When we're going through a painful trial, we will often say, I I just feel so heavy right now, weighed down. We'll talk about life feeling like I'm carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders. Why would the Bible use a word that means heaviness to relate to glory? Because God's greatest glory is sometimes revealed in the heaviest times of life. Last Sunday, Pastor Javon reminded us of the experience of Moses when he made a request of God, show me your glory. That was at a heavy time in Moses' life. He had been leading the Israelites in the wilderness for many years by this point. And he was weighed down by their constant criticism and their complaining, and it was always being pointed at him. He was weighed down by his own self-doubts. Lord, I don't know that I've got what it takes to lead these people anymore. And he was weighed down by his lack of feeling God's presence in his life. So one day when God met him, he said, just show me your glory. And in response, 
God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Ruth Haley Barton says about this story, God's goodness is his greatest glory and it is what we most need. Hmm. Sometimes when life weighs us down, we will want to pray, Lord, lighten my load. Just take the weight off of me, Lord, so I can keep going. But what if, what if the removal of the heaviness is also to remove the glory? If so, perhaps a more helpful prayer is to pray, Lord, just show me your glory with what I'm going through right now. Would that be a helpful prayer for anybody listening today? Would it be a helpful prayer for any of you who are caregivers? You're taking care of a loved one. You're taking care of someone you know. And it demands a lot of you and it weighs you down. But there's glory in what you're doing. And maybe you just need to be reminded, Lord, show me the glory in what I do. Some of you might be teachers. You might be healthcare professionals. You might be public servants. And I know supposedly COVID is, is already in the past, but don't tell you that, right? You continue to live it every day. You're weighed down and you don't know if you can keep going. Maybe the prayer you need is, Lord, show me the glory in what I'm doing. Maybe some of you are caring for family right now. You are taking care of your family's needs, but it feels uphill every day when you get out of bed. And yet there's glory in what you're doing. And maybe instead of praying for God to lighten the load and move the heaviness out of the way, the prayer that would be most helpful is, Lord, just show me your glory and what I'm doing. Henry Nowen looked for glory in his career. He was the mystic author, teacher, priest. He searched for glory of knowing that what he was doing was God's will in his life. And he went to the places that seemed like it would bring that sense of glory. He, he taught at Notre Dame then he went to Yale. Then he went to Harvard because each role was unfulfilling, especially Harvard. He felt like the faculty would never accept him and treat him as a peer. And he realized that this isn't it. I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And so he went to France because the founder of the Larch community there invited him to come, a community built to help handicapped people at various stages of condition. Some people, so handicapped, it required full-time care of other people. He went there to live for one year in the community. And he found something that was surprising to him. He found glory. Not just in the people giving of themselves to other people, glory in the members of the community. 
glory in the way that they lived and the way they practiced their faith. He, he learned something. So when he came back to this part of the world, he accepted the invitation to go and be the priest of the large community in Toronto called Daybreak. His journey that took him there over the course of a year was like a daily journal, and he published it in a book called The Road to Daybreak. In his journal entries, he wrote one day about glory, the difference between human glory and God's glory. He said human glory often depends on what other people think of us, the acceptance they give us, and it often leads to competition and lack of fulfillment. Then he asked the question, how then do we come to see and receive God's glory? In his gospel, John shows that God chose to reveal his glory to us in humiliation. This is the good, but also disturbing news. God, in his infinite wisdom, chose to reveal his divinity to us, not through competition, but through compassion. That is, through suffering with us. This is the deepest reason for living in solidarity with the poor, oppressed, and handicapped people. They are the ones through whom God's glory can manifest itself to us. You know, sometimes when we think about mission work, outreach work, we think about the glory we're going to go and take to other people. We are going to serve the poor because we're going to give them what they don't have, and we do. And there's going to be glory in it. But those who go, those who go, they say it every time. They say it every time. I thought I would be the glory giver. I was the glory receiver. I found out that these people who don't have most of the worldly tangible things I do have something I don't. And they give me glory. That's where I find glory. May God grant us not peace, but glory. I didn't understand it at the time, but I came to. When Henry Nowen was writing this journal, I went to my first appointment at a seminary, as many of you know, in the mountains of North Carolina. I was told about one of my members who lived at the base of Cold Mountain. Yes, the mountain of the Claude Fraser novel title. It's a real place. I was told she had a handicapped daughter. And I discovered when I went to visit her, she indeed does. Years before, she and her husband had their baby in the hospital and were told the baby will probably not live very long, in fact, less than a week. So they took their baby home. They kissed her, sang to her, prayed over her, fed her, and changed her diaper. But she didn't die after a week. She didn't die after a year. She didn't die after a decade. When I went to see her that day, she had recently turned 37 years old, still bedridden, still needing to have her diaper changed, still being spoon-fed, still unable to make any communicative sounds above a grunt, a grunt or groan. 
I'm embarrassed I cannot remember the full name of her mother. Everyone just called her Aunt Nell. That's how I remember her. She would push her daughter around in her bed that was on wheels into whatever room where she was working, which was usually the kitchen. So when I would come, I would sit down. She would always give me something to eat. I would go visit her regularly. (laughs) And then watch as she worked and loved her daughter. While she cooked or cleaned in the kitchen, she would sing to her daughter. And every now and then, walk over and brush her hair back and kiss her on the forehead. And how is my sweetheart today? You know mama loves you every day, every day, 37 years. How do you do that? I never ask. I never ask because she would have scolded me. She would have said to me, you think this is hard? You think what I'm doing is hard? Oh, you don't understand a thing. You should go back to school. I never, I knew she'd say that to me, so I never said it. (laughs) But I think I understand now. I think she did it every day because she prayed a simple prayer. Lord, don't give me peace. Give me glory. Let us pray. Lord, there are times in all of our lives when what we need is your glory. Some of us may be in that place right now. Life is heavy. We feel like we can't bear up. We want a glory that gets us away from our problems, but what we really need is for you to show us your glory in the heaviness. Don't remove our challenge. Just help us see your glory in the challenge and know that you will help us to keep going and your goodness will not fail. Show us your glory. Amen.